Um, as you can see, I'm going to carry on with this theme of God's dream. Um, and I wasn't able to be here last Sunday, um, but we had second breakfast. Um, and there was a time of reflecting on this dream, or on this poem titled God's Dream. Um, so if you weren't here last week, um, some members of the Leadership Collective read the poem and reflected on it. Um, but it was mentioned that this poem was shared at a summer leadership team gathering in 2021. Um, and we found it to be meaningful as we um, imagined a path forward for the, for the church kind of post-COVID. That's the, what we were looking at, looking ahead at. Um, and the Leadership Collective has kind of returned to it in recent weeks and felt that it um, is a really good invitation uh, that could be kind of a theme for us as we um, begin to reflect on this new year and season as a church together. Um, so I was going to warn Mark that I was going to call him out, but I couldn't quite get in there in the coffee break. <laughs> um, I'm really hoping that Mark speaks. That I, I, I was imagining... <laughs> On this theme, and I have your talk, I have your title picked for you already, Mark, because <laughs> I was imagining that um, after some of us spend like weeks talking about how to identify and participate in God's dream for our lives and community, that you might come in with something like how to kill God's dream in three easy steps, <laughs> which <laughs> I think in all seriousness, I, I really love that. Um, I was really grateful for the talk that, um, that Mark did in December and the conversations we had after that. Um, and it's definitely impacted how I've been thinking about what it means to follow Jesus. Um, I've been reminded that a healthy amount of suspicion of oneself is really important, especially when we find ourselves thinking that we found the way um, or that we understand how to do it right. So, uh, with that said, it's with a fair amount of trepidation and a healthy dose of skepticism that I titled this talk, What is God's Dream? And How to Get In on It. Um, but even though I worry about the ways the Christian church has tried to go about this, I do desire to follow Jesus and to participate in God's dream, or love's dream as Jesus revealed it to be. So I want to invite you into some of my thoughts um, about what that could look like in our lives. Um, but first, I'm going to read this poem uh, for those of us that missed it last week. Um, mm. <laughs> um, you can follow along with me. The Lord God said, I myself will dream a dream within you. Good dreams come from me, you know. My dreams seem impossible, not too practical, not for the cautious man or woman, a little risky sometimes, a trifle brash perhaps. Some of my friends prefer to rest more comfortably in sounder sleep with visionless eyes. But from those who share my dreams, I ask a little patience, a little humor, some small courage, and a listening heart, I will do the rest. Then, 
Sorry. No, then they I just turned it too fast. <laughs> then they will risk and wonder at their daring, run and marvel at their speed, build and stand in awe at the beauty of their building. You will meet me often as you work in your companions who share your risk, in your friends who believe in you enough to lend their own dreams, their own hands, their own hearts to your building, in the people who will stand in your doorway, stay a while, and walk away knowing they too can find a dream. There will be sun-filled days, and sometimes it will rain. A little variety, both come from me. So come now, be content. It is my dream you dream, my house you build, my caring you witness, my love you share, and this is the heart of the matter. So let's allow that poem to rest in the backdrop of this talk as I attempt to wrap some words around what God's dream for us could be and how we might get in on it or discover it inside of us. In the church calendar, we're in the season just after Epiphany, um, which some traditions call Epiphany Tide. And this season takes us right up to Ash Wednesday and Lent. Um, now, we're not really the kind of church that strictly observes the church calendar, although certainly we do more in the Celtic service. But even low church traditions like ours have started to take more of an interest in paying attention to these traditions in recent years. There are all kinds of things I like about observing the church calendar and some things I'm suspicious of, too. Um, but I do like the sense of connection it brings with the church at large. I also like the idea of not having to decide what you're going to teach on every Sunday. It's just given to you and you have to deal with it however you will. Um, and I like how the seasons of the church calendar linger in certain places, Christmas being one. Because if you think about it, we say really big things at Christmas. We marvel at the mystery of God who shows up in a manger and what it all means. And then often in January, January, we move right along. But if we observe the season of Epiphany, we might begin to reflect more deeply on what the revelation of Christ meant and means to us now in a deeper way. Uh, epiphany, the word, is kind of exciting to think about. Um, the dictionary's definition of epiphany is quite, there's quite a few here, um, is this, an appearance or manifestation, especially of a divine being, or a usually sudden manifestation or perception of the essential nature or meaning of something, or an intuitive grasp or reality through something, such as an event, usually simple and striking, or an illuminating discovery, realization, or disclosure, or a revealing scene or moment. Epiphany, or the Feast of Epiphany, lands on January 6th, and it's a Christian holiday commemorating the first manifestation of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles represented by the Magi and the manifestation of his divinity, as it occurred at his baptism in the Jordan River and at his first miracle in Cana in Galilee. 
So the name epiphany comes from the Greek epiphania, meaning appearance or manifestation. And the holiday can also be called theophany, which means a manifestation of God or three kings day. Um, but one thing I want us to notice about this word is how experiential it is. It doesn't seem to be something that one attains through intellect. Rather, it comes through an experience, a revelation, or an encounter. Um, the revelation we celebrate in the season of Epiphany is not only the manifestation of God in Jesus, but it specifically recognizes Christ's inclusion and embrace of the Gentiles, represented by the Magi. And this inclusion of the Gentiles is important because it breaks through the cultural and religious expectations regarding who would and would not be included in this new kingdom or reality. Now, I love the wording in this definition um, that says, an intuitive grasp of reality through something, such as an event, usually simple and striking. Uh, Rachel picked out... Um, the contemporary reading for the Celtic service today. And I was looking at it yesterday and, and then this morning decided I had to add it in here um, because I thought the connections um, just became more clear to me with what I wanted to talk about today. Um, so this is an excerpt from The Wisdom Jesus by Cynthia Bergeau. Um, and let's read it with this idea of epiphany in mind. Um, so perhaps the most, this is, this is Cynthia Bergeau, perhaps the most deadening aspect of our Christianity as we're used to it, it, sorry, as we're used to it, as, no, it's as, I'm going to start again. <laughs> perhaps the most deadening aspect of our Christianity as we're used to it, aside from the fact that it really is a kind of cultural backdrop, the filter through which we look at everything is that we live it with 2020 hindsight. But all this knowing about Jesus actually gets in the way. Living our Christianity with 2020 hindsight lands us in trouble in at least two ways. First of all, it lulls us into a false sense of security, that we're the winning team, that as Christians we'd recognize and know Jesus when he showed up. But even more problematically, um, this 2020 hindsight takes away from us the key tool that we need to find to live the path today, to connect with this person that we seem to know so much about. This tool is our own inner power of recognition. When we approach the story with the attitude, I've heard that already, I know what it means, we fall asleep rather than allowing ourselves to be shocked awake. As in the Gospel of Thomas, it's merely the seek and you shall find part without the confusion, wonder, and reorientation, and also without the sovereignty. For all such spiritual sleepwalking bypasses that crucial first step, that moment when the heart has to find its way not through external conditioning, but through a raw immediacy of presence. Only out of this direct knowingness is sovereignty born one's own inner authority. The key ingredient I've been talking about is really recognition energy. 
It's the capacity to ground a truth, a spiritual experience in your own being. The Gospels are built on it, and so is the early church, as the powerful liberation energy of the Christ event spills over and travels forward, moving from recognition to recognition. So that's from the wisdom of Jesus. I think the season of the Epiphany invites us to consider our own cultural and religious expectations regarding who will and will not be included all over again. Um, and it asks the question, do we imagine we'd recognize Jesus if he showed up today? Do we consider ourselves to be on the winning team, seeing clearly? Or might we be surprised from our slumber by a simple and striking event that awakens us to the reality of Christ's liberation energy spilling over and traveling forward today. These are some of the questions the season of Epiphany invites us to consider. I read this poem by Howard Thurman during our Christmas Eve service, and I knew at the time I wanted to go back to it together, um, because if we understand that the work of Christmas begins after Christmas, then we have to keep talking about it somehow. But I also think this poem has a clue for us when it comes to not just identifying God's dream, but our own place inside of it. So it's the work of Christmas begins. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with the flock, the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among people, to make music in the heart. So the work of Christmas begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations. The song sounds a lot like this. Mark, I stole your slide. <laughs> it's the same message Mark highlighted last month as he pointedly articulated what Jesus said he was here to do and what he wanted, and what he wanted. Disciples and not converts who would study the way of love and follow it or embody it. But Howard Thurman ends his poem with a line I kept thinking about, mostly because I didn't fully comprehend it at first. This one, to make music in the heart. I found myself returning to these words over and over again, wondering what Howard Thurman meant by this and how it fits with the rest of the poem. Is it just flowery language? Poets are often accused of that. <laughs> or does it have substance and wisdom to it? I won't presume to know what it meant to Howard Thurman, but I've started to understand what it means to me. And I got there by asking, what does it mean to make music in the heart? Now I know I've had the privilege of time to reflect on this, but I wanted to ask you what you think it might mean before I go on, but there are no right or wrong answers. Well, there are no wrong answers. <laughs> um, but what comes to your mind 
as you think about what makes music in the heart. Over and over, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
some ways I feel like that kind of thing can be can be what moves me to be outward when my tendency is to be inward. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so so to make the music in the heart for me means being moved, but it doesn't stay in my heart. It's mm-hmm. it's the real thing that moves outward. Thank you. Mm-hmm. wonderful to hear your thoughts and I think you'll hear some of them echoed in this next, my last few thoughts here. Um, So I started to ask myself um, what makes my heart sing Um, or what resonates within me when I hear it or see it or do it. And I think this is important because while we're all invited into God's dream, our particular path or way of participating in this dream will be different and unique to each of us. Um, the poem begins with, I myself will dream a dream within you. And so perhaps if we pay attention to what makes music in our own hearts, we'll find our way into the kind of participation God dreams about, and that will look as diverse as we are. Um, 
Some of us might ride bikes across a country. Uh, or plant gardens, or be amazing administrators or artists, or bakers or counselors, or website designers or teachers. So many things we might do. Um, we'll do many things and dream many dreams. Um, and I think the more we learn to tune our hearts to the song of love inside us, about that authentic place inside us, um, the more realized God's dream becomes. Um, because like Matthew Paul Turner so beautifully writes, you are God's child, you're silly and wild, you're one of the many of reasons God smiles. You're courageous and true. You're a dream God pursues. You might be surprised what God knows you can do. You can love and be kind and in hope remain grounded. You can fight the, you can fight the good fight and with faith move a mountain. You'll find joy and make peace and help justice increase. That fire inside you, let God help unleash. Do all you can to build and to mend to love what God loves, to heal and transcend, to use all you are, to love stranger and friend, and try to help others see God's dream for them. <clears throat> and um, I love what Scott Erickson writes about uh, this image. That image comes from him, and it reminds me of what Lorna said. Uh, he says, may I learn to see that what I need is beautifully tangled up with what I get to offer. My life is not my own. Um, and it reminds me of um, Parker Palmer's book, Let Your Life Speak. I've been looking at that a bit recently for my work at SSU. And he um, writes about learning to give what he calls the organic reality of our lives. Um, so January is often a season of planning for the year ahead or of dreaming. And uh, we are even doing that as a church right now. But it's important to remember that we are not asked to give in every way, just in our way. Because sometimes all those dreams can be overwhelming. Um, so as we enter this year together, I wanted to bless God's dream for each of us. Um, so this is my little blessing for us. May we be graced with a little patience, a little humor, some small courage, and listening hearts. And may we remain open and expect to be surprised by brand new epiphanies in the year ahead, trusting that Christ has come, is coming, and will come again. Amen. Um, so I wanted to end with a song. It's a pretty short song, just three minutes. <laughs> and uh, I loved how it connected to these ideas. And that's it. Um, I hope we'll be hearing a little more about this idea in the, in the weeks ahead. Um, and lots of others next week that Tison is sharing. So that'll be something to look forward to. Uh,